Welcome to the Bishop and Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane in Eastern Washington, and joining me on our radio show is Father Darren Connell. Rector. Good day, everyone. Yes, thank you. I wanted to introduce you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, thank good you. Time, good time. You're the rector of uh, the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lord, the Mother Church of the Diocese of Spokane, and also Vicar General, Father Pat Kirst, pastor of St. Thomas More and St. Patrick's Parish here in Spokane, and Vicar for Priests, and Father Brian Mee. Father Mee is the pastor of a well-established St. Augustine Parish in the South Hill, and he is also Vicar for Finance. As you know, during the Lenten season, there's opportunities for greater prayer, acts of charity, and penance. Some people during their time of reflection will do some spiritual reading. That's very important, the lives of the saints, uh, additional reading in scripture, reading some commentaries. There's various books that are available with brief reflections on the readings of the day, allowing the individual to ponder them, knowing the hectic schedule that so many of our lay people live each day. But others use this opportunity lent for some spiritual reading in what we'll call Catholic literature. So today's show, our program is going to look at some of the great books out there that are available, uh, works of uh, fiction and nonfiction Catholic authors. And so we're going to begin with Father Connell, who mentions that from the time he was a young boy uh, wearing uh, his, orders, his overalls at, at Trinity Grade School. Leisure he, suit. Leisure suit. Okay, this was the late 70s. Um, your favorite author, Dante? Well, I think before I get to Dante, um, <clears throat> I want to start contemporary. Can I do that? Or? Sure, okay. sure. We're very flexible in the sure. turn of the century. Um, and I discovered this author uh, recently as I was thinking about some reflections for Lent, and her name is, uh, is Heather King, and She's wrote. She's written a number of books and articles uh, on her experience. Uh, she converted to Catholicism uh, some years ago. She was a very successful attorney, and in one of her books, she uh, writes about the concept of being um, stripped down emotionally and and spiritually, uh, kind of an imitation of Christ, who says that one must lose one's life for my sake. Um, and she says that uh, many people, you know. She said she's never met anyone who voluntarily, take, voluntarily takes on any kind of, of stripping down, any kind of voluntary poverty, uh, whether it's financial, emotional, or social. Um, she says um, people who become poor in some way often have that imposed upon them, but then fail to see that poverty as a sign of love or an opportunity, at which she was able to see in her own life. She Her poverty was, uh, many things, was her illness. She was a uh, an alcoholic for, for many years and has been recovering for a, a long time. And then she was later diagnosed uh, with cancer. And she saw her sickness as a kind of, of poverty uh, for herself. Um, and she didn't see, you know, sometimes people say, well, there's a blessing in my cancer or my illness. She said, no, I, I've never seen that. I've never felt this was a blessing in any way, shape, or form. But she said, I did see it as a mystery. Uh, and then she said, to consent to live in mystery, to not know all the answers is another kind of poverty. The world sees any kind of poverty as a cause for ridicule, but Christ's kingdom is not of this world. And what I loved about that is, is that, you know, I think it resonated with my own kind of struggle with illness and all that, is that sometimes I don't see great profound uh, insights into suffering in the cross, except, you know, she kind of gives one permission to give consent to mystery, that, yeah, I don't I don't understand this, but I'm I'm going to consent to it. And that immediately makes me think of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who didn't understand what was happening to her, and yet she gave consent to mystery. And we know that the mystery of our own suffering, the mystery of, of life, um, does oftentimes unfold over time and ultimately will 
unfold in its fullness in the life that is to come. Did you quote that line from memory? Uh, I haven't written. See, it's, it's written right here. <laughs> oh, right oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> right in front of you. Coming up with that. But, but I think in Catholic literature, one of the things that comes to my mind is, is just the nuance between uh, literature that is written specifically to reflect Catholicism and be Catholic, and that written by Catholic authors, which may be very subtle in its presentation of the Catholic worldview and so forth. And, and uh, you know, I'm pretty much in the shallow end with this topic. I'm not as prolific a reader as the others around this table, and things I do read I forget about five minutes after I'm done with the book. But uh, I, I do recall novels, or kind of my preferred reading, that were done by just guys who happen to be Catholic or women who happen to be Catholic, but they weren't writing this as a story about Catholicism or anything, but just trying to weave the themes of, of Catholic theology into the story that they're preparing. And, and oftentimes very subtle of, of sin and redemption and so forth and, and uh, of, of grace at work in somebody's life, but uh, very powerful. I, I, uh, I, here, I can't remember the name of the book that was just coming to mind. And, or, or <laughs> just the make it up. Just yeah. make it up. I mean, right now I'm reading a book called Arnie and Jack by Ian Connor, who I'm going to presume is Catholic with a name like that. I don't know if he is, but it's about Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas and mm. their relationship oh. with each other. And uh, Arnold was a Catholic boy. Jack wasn't, but uh, or isn't. I think he's still alive. But uh, anyway, within this book, he's, he's really reflecting upon how the Catholic faith touched Arnold Palmer's life and and how he didn't always live that out perfectly, but it was it was something that did give some shape to his his way of being in the world. And it created a, a nice drink after the 18th hole, the Arnold Palmer. <laughs> well, Arnie lived in uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, correct, which right. has a big Benedictine monastery. And, and Father me, when you were socius to the provincial of the Benedictines of the Swiss Federation, wasn't it? Was that the group you were Swiss with? German. Swiss American. Swiss American. Yeah. They made of clocks. But um, yeah. St. Vincent is Cassanese. Oh, but my, okay. the, my author, modern author, author would be uh, G.K. Chesterton. Mm. That's also and, the name, excuse me, that's the name of Father Jeff Kors' cat. Large dog <laughs> is Chesterton. G.K. or Chesterton? Just Chesterton, <laughs> Pastor St. Mary's. Chesty. Go on, Father Me. Well, G.K. Chesterton, the author, died back in 1936, but he was a convert to Catholicism, uh, and he wrote just in about every field. He certainly did some great works in theology, orthodoxy, and everlasting man would be the best. Some biographies, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm. He might be best known for his um, Father Brown mystery novels that appear, I think, on PBS now. But a couple of statements about him. He was, uh, he was able to make faith uh, so immediate and make uh, the world an adventure to live in. I mean by that one of the one of the things, and Maisie Ward is the one that wrote a great biography on him, um, and she quotes this one section of uh, Chesterton speaking about science. It can tell us how distant the stars are, or the moons the moon is, uh, and so science is able to to show us how expansive the universe is. And Chesterton would say, well, science does that, but religion makes us aware of how near heaven is. And for him, everything was cozy. Uh, and everything, God was immediate and at work in our world. So even in the, um, he would say, you know, and he loved paradox. And one of the paradox would, that he, he would expand upon is the trouble with the, the world or the trouble with us adults is that we have grown old while God has remained 
young, like a child. And he would say, well, look at a child. A child loves to hear uh, a bedtime story. And no sooner do you finish that bedtime story than the child says, well, tell it again one more time. Or you could be playing a game with that child, and that child will never grow tired of the game, as we do. And Chesterton said, well, what if we're looking at God and his creation in the wrong way? You know, we get up in the morning, the sun comes up, it crosses the sky, it goes down at night, the moon comes up. And we think, well, that's just consequences of the universe, how it works. But Chesterton said, well, no, for God is like that child. And every day he causes the sun to rise and cross the sky, causes the flowers to grow. The sun sets, the moon comes up, and God says, that is so beautiful, let's do it one more time. And so he's able to make God and the world and the faith all very immediate. Now, one last statement about uh, Chesterton, for priest, I think, uh, in Father Brown's mystery novels, he, Father Brown's a dumpy, you know, roly-poly little guy with big be speckled and uh that's just how you describe me <laughs> well I, i'm looking at you and I, I i see a similarity there but now you'll like this because his originally his arch enemy is flambeau this very uh debonair character frenchman who doesn't look like uh <laughs> is he is he a priest in the bordering diocese now <laughs> eastern part of our country. the um but he catches flambeau and the uh police inspector says how could you have ever, you know, you dumpy little priest, how could you ever have solved this mystery? And uh, what Chesterton says, or Father Brown says, is what humanity doesn't understand is that a priest spends the better half of his life with the worst half of humanity, meaning that because of that, uh, he's able to understand, you know, the flaws and the faults and the crimes of humanity. Hmm. So Chesterton would be one of my um, favorite you, modern authors. You mentioned uh, Chesterton uh, and children, mm -hmm. and I have a little quote here to share with you, which I'm sure you know by, by heart. Given but, to you by your executive producer, Mary Richards. Uh, Chesterton <laughs> said, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already, already know, know that, that dragons exist. They, fairy tales tell children, children that, that dragons, dragons can, can be killed. killed. Right. Yeah, Look at you. Oh, you read oh, right I off of your my, I know my authors, yes. <laughs> no, that's a great, that's a great uh, interplay between good and evil and, and, and that comfort that kids can get that goodness always triumphs over evil, even evil dragons. Hmm. Were you big into Dungeons and Dragons when you were at Central Valley? I was told not to answer that question. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> Father Chris don't brought up about uh, authors that are Catholic. They don't write specifically with the Catholic theme, but it permeates. The book I read during the summer was called uh, Stingray Afternoon or Stingray Summer. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stingray let's not, Afternoon. Uh, let me see. Let me get the, I, I think uh, you're off a few it, letters no, there. Stingray Afternoon. It is written by Steve Russian, who writes for... Sports Illustrated, and he's talking about growing up. I think he's one of five kids in a suburb of Minneapolis, goes to Catholic school. It's a great story about the parish, the sisters. Again, he writes for Sports Illustrated, and this is just a reflection on his life. In he would have been the class, born in 1967. Uh, you were already ordained, Father Me, by then. Um, but uh, it's, it's a great book. Actually, it's around Father Colin, your age, right? 38. Uh, yeah, 38, <laughs> uh, 48 waist. Uh, 
It's uh, oh. <laughs> no, it's it's a great book, but it's Not again that that's a bad thing with Father, what Father Chris is saying, where the author's Catholic faith and being raised a Catholic permeates a book that is just a reflection of growing up. And Stingrays in reference to a bicycle. Now I know most of you had three wheelers with baskets and bells when you were growing up. Is that correct? Do you have a right? hard cards and the, the cards and the spoke and those little and Philly things from the. Okay, moving on. Okay. That's right. You guys grew up in not a real city. Um, in any case, when we take a break, we'll come back and uh, we're going to talk about some of the classic authors and then some of the more serious themes that are part of uh, Catholic literature that teach a lesson, not perhaps in a direct way, but reflect upon the good news, the gospel, and the complexity of life uh, in our society. Back to the Bishop and Vickers. Today we're talking about Catholic literature, not necessarily those that are written about Catholic issues or individuals or saints, but rather even authors that have a Catholic theme. But we began the show with talking about some more current authors, but we'd like to address one of the more famous uh, from a great historical point of view in literature, and that is Dante. Father Connell, you had some comments at the break about uh, the importance of Dante, and then right. Father so, Mead. so we're looking at uh, one of the uh, aspects of, of Dante's Divine Comedy during um, Lent at the cathedral, and we were talking about at the break um, his description of of purgatory as the seven story mountain, and like all mountains, mountains have large bases, and then they get more narrow as you get to the top. And he has as the base of this mountain, which would be the most grave and most serious. And deadliest of all sins is the sin of pride. Uh, and he, he says that because theologically, uh, pride means turning oneself into God, that uh, we take on that role of God in our own lives. We don't need other people. I can make my own decisions. I don't need someone else telling me what's right or wrong. And that was the sin of uh, of Lucifer, who doubted God's love and, and said, uh, non servium, I will not serve you. Um, I can do this all myself. That was the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were told by the serpent, you don't need God to tell you the difference between good and evil. If you just eat from that tree of good and evil, you can decide it for yourselves. In fact, you can become like God, which is, again, the, the theological understanding of pride. And then against uh, Lucifer, you have Michael, um, a, a name which means who is like God. So in Michael's very name, Michael the archangel, is this... Uh, fighting or this mocking of of Lucifer in in Michael's own name who is like God I mean how, how can you do this uh how can you say that that your um, it is up to you your decisions your life your choice and leaving God out of the question on the uh, question of pride or the theme of pride in Dante especially it's dealt with very well in the inferno so uh, Father Connell mentioned the Purgatorio. Of course, you have the Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. One of the interesting things one finds in reading those, you'll find people in all three places, hell, purgatory, and heaven, that at some time in their life, they may have committed the same sin. So what puts those in hell who are in hell that's different from those who are in purgatory and even those that reach heaven? And everyone in hell... Uh, they never admit to the sin they committed. 
why it's always someone else's fault. It's not their, uh, they were all victims in our society today. It would work well. They all see themselves as victims. Uh, they can never admit that they sinned. And that, that's their great pride. And the only reason they're held in hell is because of that pride that holds them down. Uh, because otherwise, just confessing one's sin and being contrite for that, well, God does not tarry in giving forgiveness. So you see those in purgatory, and again, those in heaven as well, that may have had the same faults um, that those in hell had, but the difference was they sought the forgiveness of God. And and, and there's a real danger to this deadliest sin of pride, certainly uh, spiritually, but also you know, even even physically uh, in the material world, I I was talking at the break about the uh, the quote I found from the 1992 Supreme Court decision, uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where uh, it had to do with parental notification and spousal notification for those who wish to get an abortion, and and the the court um, uh, sided with Planned Parenthood uh, in the decision, and they and they said that they almost repeated those words that we hear from from Lucifer. Uh, those prideful words. They said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, one's own concept of meaning, one's own concept of the universe, and one's own concept of the mystery of human life. I get to do that for myself, independent of any kind of, uh, of outside influence, and that is pride. So this literature of Dante and, and myriad other authors through the centuries uh, is really a reflection on on sacred scripture. They're not inventing these themes. They're very creatively presenting them and and uh, nuancing them. But uh, we look back, you know, we're the original Catholic authors. Well, we look at the New Testament writers and and Saint Paul, you know, talking about our our human sin and our need for redemption. And then Saint John, you know, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar, and so forth. So uh, we, I think that really did shape how these Catholic authors approach their their mm. art in terms of their... I think, um, to go back to G.K. Chesterton, just for a moment, one of his... We already had like eight minutes on this. <laughs> one of his wonderful lines is, who is a saint? A saint is one who knows that he's a sinner. So again, uh, the difference, the greatest difference between the saint and the sinner, perhaps, is the humility of the saint as opposed to the pride of the sinner. Well, if we ever expand the authorship to Christian authors, we could talk about C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce that takes this theme in The Great Divorce and develops it, especially the concept of pride, those that know more than God, the line at the end, those who tell God, your will be done, and those, God, your will be done. We um, talked about other authors. Uh, Dante, of course, is the classic, but um, any other authors? I was thinking of Tobias Wolff, who's not as well known. Tobias was, at one time in his early years, uh, a teacher at the school I went to at Sacred Heart when he was known as Toby Wolf. But he has a number of books, one of them is short stories. And I would recommend to our listening audience, there is a book, The Best American Catholic Short Stories, edited by Daniel McVeigh and Sister Patricia Schnapp. They are a series of books for those of you who can't uh, take in a 600-page book, uh, don't have exactly a vacation in Mazelon to, to read, and just there. some short stories. Just, just wait for the movie to come out. Okay, that would be great. And one of Tobias Wolff's is The Rich Brother, which has some direct, few direct references to Christianity, but he does have allusions to the Cain and Abel murder and the prodigal son and other accounts from the Gospels. So 
we would hope that our listening audience would be able to see the richness of literature, especially when it uh, has to do with key themes that are very much a part of Lent, which is conversion, looking at one's pride and seeing the importance of humility. That's the French school of spirituality, Father Me, very important and stressing uh, on humility. Unlike the German school of spirituality, which is what, Father Christ? Careful. I uh, don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, Schnell. Um, I haven't read that. But um, one of the quotes, I think, from Dante that we want to reflect on is, beauty awakens the soul to act, love moves the sun and the other stars. Did you know that, Father? I mean, was that, that was on your prayer card for your 25th anniversary. That comes, actually, that's Dorothy Sayers' translation. I follow oh. Charles Singleton's mm, translation. Good old, good old Chuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was that, that ended that. Where do you go with Chuck? Uh, yeah, he, he overwhelms us. Well, I like to talk about Brian Moore. Uh, Brian Moore wrote uh, two books that uh, he wrote many other books, but two in particular, Catholics of Fable, which is set after an imaginary Vatican IV. And there's some key themes. He goes, in the, the character in this, and it was made into a movie starring Martin Sheen, and Trevor Howard, he is the abbot, and they go to an island off the west coast of Ireland called the Island of Mork. It's a monastery, and oh, after this, well, that's no, that's our St. Patrick's Day special. Pipes are calling. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yes. In any case, this is a very important book. What does it mean to believe? And uh, Brian Moore addresses that topic when uh, this young priest, Father Kinsella, is played by Martin Sheen, but in the book comes and visits and finds out why is this monastery opposing efforts after this Vatican IV, and some of the teachings that were occurring after this Vatican IV, this compromising with fundamental church teaching. They have shut down lords, for example, because the, the notion of a place of healing for miracles is not easily accepted by the ecumenical community. The sacrament of confession is frowned upon because, again, the idea that an individual feels the need to confess to another individual, though clergy, is also wrong. And the Eucharist, this is the, the word, the Eucharist is only symbolic after this Vatican IV. And the church is to be a perfect structure of social change. It takes the gospel, the social gospel of liberation theology, and takes it to an extreme. And suddenly the question is asked, so it doesn't take a great deal of faith to believe anymore. And it's a great book. It's a, it's a short novel by Brian Moore, who also wrote The Black Robe, which is loosely based on the North American martyrs, Isaac Jogue and Jean Brebeuf. De Brebeuf. Can yes. I bring up um, is it an some, English Catholic author? Is this uh, Edmund Campion? I, I think maybe we should just throw out some quick ones, like uh, Graham Greene. Mm, and the one I would recommend for Graham Greene is The Power and the Glory. It takes mm. place in Mexico. It's... Um, the whiskey priest, he mm -hmm. has many sins of his own. But one of the things that happens is he get, keeps getting led into living his priesthood. And for Graham Greene, one of his major themes is how flawed we as humanity are. But if we're just open to the grace of God, how well God uses us. And so this whiskey priest, who everyone kind of looks down upon, ultimately uh, he's led to uh, give his life for the sake of his congregation, he's martyred, and suddenly, all of a sudden, the whiskey priest is a saint. And mm. uh, and I, I think it's he does that in many of his stories. But again, uh, Graham Greene is so good with that Catholic concept of you know uh, conversion of 
repentance and forgiveness. And ultimately, if we're just open to the grace of God, God's grace will take care of us. I, uh, as I sat here uh, for these last hour or however long it's been, hours it felt it like, seems like hours. hours. I was, I was uh, actually, I've learned a few things about different authors and some things, uh, books and uh, pieces that I would like to read. Um, but we then I, we don't have time though. Well, I immediately think yeah. of, I, and I, I don't think I'm alone. I, I, I'm trying to be in solidarity with our listening audience. Everyone's really busy today. Um, and really you don't, you don't have a lot of time to read, but so I guess, and w- with the risk of having you all humiliate me or make fun of me, audio books, uh, audio books, mm-hmm. uh, you know, download podcasts and things. I mean, you know, people exercise, they walk, they drive in the car. I mean, maybe that's a way that, uh, or what are your thoughts about that? Here we go. No, I think, <laughs> I think it's a very good idea. Uh, could you? A lot of our priests. I, I know our priests who are. In it's a wonderful way. Rather than listening to the radio, I'm actually listening right now to um, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. I thought you'd be the, the one to ridicule me the most. No, no, no it's, it's Lent, and I gave that up for oh. Lent. So uh, it's only, Abraham it's Lincoln's only three days. You got a long way to go. <laughs> was Monday, and so I got his uh, uh, Carl Sandburg's "The Prairie Years and the War Years" and uh, on on um, DVD or CDs, whatever. And so listening to that in the car, it's amazing how much you can hear or you can listen to as you go about your work or um, wherever you have to go in a car. So, no, I think that's a great idea. What about Flannery O'Connor? Can you say that we, again? We've talked about – Have you Father read Father Kirsch, that was a great idea you <laughs> yes. brought up. No. We haven't even talked about Flannery O'Connor, uh, the writings. Uh, the Archbishop Mederauer, the late Archbishop Mederauer, did his doctorate uh, at USC on that, and he often – when he would speak about – those themes of Flannery O'Connor. What about uh, J.F. Powers? Are you familiar, Father, me with that? I know when those monastery, when most of us were all working in parishes, you had a lot more time to read. After I think it was his last one was The Grass Springeth Green. Yes, or did something. you read that? Oh, absolutely. What'd you think of it? We're down to almost 19 well, seconds. <laughs> Great show. It, it was a very good it, it, book. It okay. was a, yeah, it was a good book. It was neat. Okay, well, when we have a, we'll do another <laughs> yeah. show, but our next topic will be uh, pets and priests: The story of a perky pet named <laughs> a perky pug named Pepper by Father Paul Herrick. So uh, again, uh, stay tuned and God bless. Poor <laughs>